Welcome to Zikhu Dafsi Man Rebbe Ram Goldhar and today Mazekas Ksubis Dat Nun Gimel, the fourth parak Narshin Spasasa. The Zikhu Mazekas Ksubis program has been generously sponsored as a schus for Hachazachas Torah. So the three topics we're going to focus on. Number one, Rabbi said, "It's obvious to me, Mocheres Ksuba Sela Acherim Yeshal Ksubas Benin Dechrin, that if a woman sells her Ksuba to others, which gives them the right to collect her Ksuba, if the husband dies before her or divorces her." She still has rights to the ksubas beneath the green. What's the reason? Zuzan Nasua, financial pressures, forced her to make the sale. The sale of her ksuba does not indicate that she treats it lightly. Therefore, there's no reason to prevent her sons from inheriting the ksuba. And if she's mochel ksuba salabala, it waves her ksuba to her husband. She does not have rights to the ksubas beneath the green. Rush explains that she took lightly the possibility of causing her sons to lose the ksuba. Therefore, the rabbanim penalized her, and she does not have the ksubas beneath the green. Rather than ask, Mocheres Ksuba Salabala, what's the halacha? If she sells her ksuba to her husband, is it more like selling it to others or to waving it for her husband? After Rava asked this, he answered his own question, that it's like one who sells it to others, in which case she does not lose the ksubas beneath the cream. Pointing to Rav Nachman, Ulan, Avivim, and Rav Papi were sitting, and Rav Bar Ami was sitting with them. A man whose harusa had died came to them, and they told them, Zilkvar or Havla Ksubasa, go bury her or give her ksuba to her. This is based on the fact that a man should bury his wife in return for inheriting her ksuba. Rush explains that the Gemara assumes that this is for the standard amounts written in the ksuba. Since the husband doesn't have to pay these amounts, he's hived to bury her. Ravichia said to him that it was taught in a brisa, If the arus dies, the arusa collects her ksuba. Ravichia said that the reason she collects her ksuba is that he died, which implies that if she dies, she does not have rights in her ksuba, such as burial. Rav Oshai explained the reason that he's not hive to bury her is, For I cannot apply to her when you marry another man, you may take what is written for you. Rush explains that the Tanaik Suba only go into effect when she's able to marry someone else after being divorced or widowed from him. Until then, he's not obligated to bury her, and he does not inherit anything from her. Therefore, he's not hive to bury her. And pointing with Rav Chis, said to Rav Yosef, Did you ever hear from Rabbi Yehuda? Whether an Arusi gets support from her father's estate or not. Rav Yosef said that he had not, but it is logical to say that she does not get support. Kevin de Erso, once her husband takes her in Arison, he doesn't want to see her disgrace begging for food, and he'll certainly provide for her. Rav Chis replied that if he had not heard this from Rav Yehuda, then it's more logical that she does receive support after Arison. Since the husband has not decided yet to take her in Nisuan, he'll not throw away money for nothing. The Gemara brings another version of this discussion where the positions are reversed. So once again, the three points are number one. Rav said, It's obvious to me, that if a woman sells her ksuba to others, which gives them the right to collect her ksuba, if the husband dies before her or divorces her, she still has rights to the ksuba's benin dechrin. What's the reason? Zuzan Nasua, financial pressures, forced her to make the sale. The sale of her ksuba does not indicate that she treats it lightly. Therefore, there's no reason to prevent her sons from inheriting the ksuba. And if she's mochel ksuba salabala, it waves her ksuba to her husband. She does not have rights to the ksuba's benin dechrin. Rush explains that she took lightly the possibility of causing her sons to lose the ksuba. Therefore, the rabbanim penalized her, and she does not have the ksuba's benin dechrin. Rather than ask, mocheres ksuba salabala, what's the halacha? If she sells her ksuba to her husband, is it more like selling it to others or to waving it for her husband? After Rava asked this, he answered his own question, that it's like one who sells it to others, in which case she does not lose the ksubas benin dechrin. Pointing to Rav Nachman, Ulan, Avivim, and Rav Papi were sitting, and Rav Bar Ami was sitting with them. A man whose harusa had died came to them, and they told them, Zilkvar or Havla ksubasa, go bury her or give her ksuba to her. 
This is based on the fact that a man should bury his wife in return for inheriting her ksuba. Rashi explains that the Gemara assumes that this is for the standard amounts written in the ksuba. Since the husband doesn't have to pay these amounts, he's hired to bury her. Ravichia said to him that it was taught in a brisa, if the arus dies, the arusa collects her ksuba. Rebekiah said that the reason she collects her ksuba is that he died, which implies that if she dies, she does not have rights in her ksuba, such as burial. Rav Oshai explained the reason that he's not hive to bury her is, For I cannot apply to her when you marry another man, you may take what is written for you. Rosh explains that the Tanaik Suba only go into effect when she's able to marry someone else after being divorced or widowed from him. Until then, he's not obligated to bury her, and he does not inherit anything from her. Therefore, he's not chayev to bury her. And pointing me through Rav Chis, said to Rav Yosef, Did you ever hear from Rav Yehuda? Arusi yeshu amazonas or ain't amazonas? Whether an Arusi gets support from her father's estate or not. Rav Yosef said that he had not, but it is logical to say that she does not get support. Kevin de Ersa, once her husband takes her in Arison, he doesn't want to see her disgrace begging for food, and he'll certainly provide for her. Rav Chis replied that if he had not heard this from Rav Yehuda, then it's more logical that she does receive support after Arison. Since the husband has not decided yet to take her in Nisuan, he'll not throw away money for nothing. The Gemara brings another version of this discussion where the positions are reversed. All right, so now we go to our Simon Dafnun Gemara, and our standard Simon is a Nigerian prince. So here goes. The son who bought an extravagant Nigerian prince outfit from the funds he received from his mother's Ksuba's Benin de Khreen after she sold her Ksuba to her husband did not bury his Arusa, whom had been supported from her father's estate because he didn't want to throw his money away until he decided to take her in the Suan. Once again, it's a motion. The son who bought an extravagant Nigerian prince outfit. Nigerian prince outfit? That must mean we're on Duff. Nun Gimel. The son who bought an extravagant Nigerian prince outfit from the funds he received from his mother's Ksuba's Benin Dekhreen after she sold her Ksuba to her husband, which reminds us, Rava asks, Moher Ksuba Salabal, what's the halacha if a woman sells her Ksuba to her husband? Is it more like selling it to others or to waving it for her husband? After Rava asked this, he answered his own question that it's like one who sells it to others, in which case she does not lose the Ksubas Benin Dekhreen. So the son who bought an extravagant Nigerian prince outfit from the funds he received from his mother's Ksubas Benin Dekhreen after she sold her Ksuba to her husband did not bury his Arusa. Which reminds us, Rabbi Shai explained the reason that one is not chayv to bury his Arusa is, for I cannot apply to her when you marry another man, you may take what is written for you. Rashi explains that the Tanaik Ksuba only go into effect when she's able to marry someone else after being divorced or widowed from him. Until then, he's not obligated to her, and he does not, so to speak, inherit anything from her. Therefore, he's not hived to bury her, which is a tanai in return for inheriting her. So the son who bought an extravagant Nigerian prince outfit from the funds he received from his mother's ksubas benin dechreen after she sold her ksuba to her husband did not bury his arusa, whom had been supported from her father's estate because he didn't want to throw his money away until he decided to take her. In the Suan, which reminds us, Rav Chisa said it's more logical that Narusa receives support from her father's estate after Arison, since the husband has not yet decided to take her in the Suan, he will not want to throw away his money for nothing. So once again, the son who bought an extravagant Nigerian prince outfit from the funds he received from his mother's Ksuba's Benin Dekhreen after she sold her Ksuba to her husband did not bury his Arusa whom had been supported from her father's estate because he didn't want to throw his money away until he decided to take her in the Suan. All right, now it's time for Forbola Bach Chazara. Daf Memtes. So the Simmer Daf Memtes is a butcher because it relates to meat. So here goes. The butcher's daughter, butcher, that must mean we're on Daf Memtes, meat. 
the butcher's daughter who arrived back at her father's shop when her husband died while she was traveling with the shluchim, which reminds us, we learned that a call given over to the husband's shluchim, if she returns to her father's house before reaching her husband, she does not revert to original state of being in a tzur We learned this from the Pasuk, Neder Almanu Grusha Kosho Aswal Nafsha Yekumalea. But the Neder of an Almanu or Grusha, anything she prohibited upon herself, shall be binding upon her. Now, what's this coming to teach? As it's obvious that once a woman is an Almanu or divorce, that her Nadarim are her own. Rather, it's to teach that if the girl was handed over to the Shulchei Abal and she was widowed or divorced, while on the way, once the daughter leaves the father's shoes for any length of time, he can no longer annul her vows. So, the butcher's daughter, who arrived back at her father's shop when her husband died while she was traveling with the Shluchim, was resentful to her father, who only fed her growing up, because it was a mitzvah, which reminds us the next mission states, Av bito. A father's not chayv to provide for his daughter's sustenance while he's still alive. The Gemara says that this implies that he is chayv in his son's sustenance, and even with regard to his daughter, there's no chayv, but it is a mitzvah to provide for her. The Gemara asks who the ton of the Mishnah is, given that it seemingly cannot be any of the three tanaim mentioned in Abraisa. So the butcher's daughter, who arrived back at her father's shop when her husband died while she was traveling with his shluchim, was resentful to her father, who only fed her growing up, because it was a mitzvah. And that was only after Basin shamed him when she was a minor, calling him worse than a raven. Which reminds us, the rabbin only shame fathers who do not want to support the young children. They do not compel them to support them. Rav Chista would have someone announce on a turned-over mortar that such a father was worse than a raven who wants its young, and this man does not want its young. The more clarifies that the announcer is referring to black ravens, for when the ravens are young and white, the parents do not feed them, and they must turn to Hashem. Daf Nun, so the simmer Daf Nun is a nincompoop. So here goes. The moneyless nincompoop. Nincompoop? That must mean we're in Daf Nun. The moneyless nincompoop who couldn't figure out why his first tithe didn't equal his second tithe, nor his tenth tithe, which reminds us, Rabbi La said, In Usha, the Chamim enacted, the one who gives generously to Sadaka should not give more generously than a fifth. Rashi explains that he should not give more than a fifth, so that he should not come himself to need others. The Pusik states that Yaakov Avinu said, And all that you will give me tithe, and I shall tithe it to you. Rashi explains that the two mentions of tithes implies one-fifth. So, the moneyless nincompoop who couldn't figure out why his first tithe didn't equal his second tithe, nor his tenth tithe, tried to hire a five-year-old weak but learned child to explain it to him, which reminds us we have a question whether teaching Torah to a child less than six years old will weaken him and be harmful to his health, or it will develop him and put him ahead of his peers. So the moneyless nincompoop who couldn't figure out why his first tithe didn't equal his second tithe, nor his tenth tithe, tried to hire a five-year-old weak but learned child to explain it to him. But he was busy telling his older sister that just as he collects ksubis benin dechrin only from land, so too she is sustained from their father's property, which is land. Which reminds us, Rabbi Hamnuna said, just as sons inherit only from real property, referring to karka, so too the daughters are only sustained from real property. The Gemara clarifies that he was referring to the sons inheriting the ksubis benin dechrin. Dafnan Alf. So the simmer Dafnan Alf is beaver or beaver pelt hats. So here goes. The beaver pelt hat salesman. Beaver pelts? That must mean we're a Daf Nun Alf. Nah. The beaver pelt hat salesman who didn't write Iksuba for his wife, but still owed her 200 zuz, which reminds us in next mission states that in the case where the Chasen didn't write Iksuba, a Basul collects 200 and an Almana Amana because that's the Tanai abased him. So the beaver pelt hat salesman who didn't write Iksuba for his wife, but still owed 200 zuz. 
built a big dam to block men from violating her so she would not come to act willingly. Which reminds us, it's a malchokas if a wife of a Yisrael is violated, whether she becomes forbidden to her husband. Avuya de Shmuel, Shmuel's father, says that since the end of the act could have been done by Ratzon willingly, she's forbidden. And Rava says that even if the end of the act was done by Ratzon, we would say that the Yetzer overcame her. So the beaver pelt hat salesman, who didn't write exuba for his wife, but still owed two hundred zuz, built a big dam to block men from violating her, so she would not come to act willingly, but didn't anticipate Ben Beaver, the king of the beaver belt community, capturing her, whom she might hope to marry. Which reminds us, it was time to Bryce Shvuyin Malchus Harin Kishvuyin, Gunuvelistos Enid Kishvuyin. Captives in the monarchy, which Rush explains are women taken to be concubines, are like ordinary captive women and may return to their husbands. But women captured by bandits are not like ordinary captives and become forbidden to their husbands. The Gemara says that another Bryce taught the opposite and then seeks to reconcile them. The first Bryce is referring to a Malchus like Akashverosh, where the women know that they will not become his wife and therefore they act under duress. The other Malchus is like Ben who Rush explains, captured several cities and ruled over them like a king. Here the captive woman might think she'll marry the ruler and act willingly, thereby becoming prohibited to her husband. Dafnun Beis, so the similar Dafnun Beis, is a newbie to Yiddishkeit. So here goes. The newbie to Yiddishkeit, newbie to Yiddishkeit, that must be one Dafnun Beis. The newbie to Yiddishkeit laughed when he received a ransom note for ten times his wife's value, which reminds us we have Malchus regarding how much ransom one can pay for his wife who was captured. So the Nubiti Yiddishkeit laughed when he received a ransom note for ten times his wife's value because he knew she was being held in a jail that was destined to be inherited by her sons as Ksubas Benin Dechrin, which reminds us Ksubas Benin Dechrin is one of the Tanai Ksuba and was instituted so that a man will jump and write a large dowry for his daughter as if she were her son. It ensures that his property will be passed on to his descendants. So the Nubiti Yiddishkeit laughed when he received a ransom note for ten times his wife's value because he knew she was being held in a jail that was destined to be inherited by her sons as Ksubas Benin Dechrin after his father-in-law had given him the property as a dowry equal to one-tenth of his estate. Which reminds the Gemara how much of one's possessions should be committed to the dowry. Abai and Rabbi both said, up until one-tenth of one's possessions. All right, so that concludes today's year. This is Rabbi Avram Goldham Zichu wishing you a great day and great learning.